0: Before we dive into the, the sermon for today, before we dive into the scripture passage, I wanna take just a couple of minutes really briefly and give you a little bit of an update. Uh, how many of you guys use Facebook? You guys use Facebook at all? You guys are lying, more of you do than that. <laughs> There's that feature that has the, the memories on Facebook where you can click and see what you did a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Uh, yesterday, my Facebook memory notified me that it was one year ago yesterday that we made the announcement that what was at the time Mars Shoreline was going to be replanting as an independent local Bible church. We didn't even have a name picked out at the time, but it was just an opportunity for me to rejoice in what God has done in and through this church. Is anybody else uh, just in awe of how good our God is over the course of the last year? God's good, right? And so kind of just looking back and the joy that it is to get to serve as one of your pastors, the joy that it is to gather together uh, each week to open the Bible, Uh, God has a new adventure for us. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we received a a notification from the school district that we rent this facility from that they are going to reopen this facility as an elementary school uh, next year in the fall of 2016. So what that means is we have to move out. Yay! And I was expecting a lot more excitement on that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we've got a few months. We've got a few things to, um, to kind of figure out, but we have to move out. We have to find a home. And so here's a couple things. I just want to share with you a couple challenges we face. Number one, it's really hard to find properties. Amen? Uh, if you've even purchased a home or if you're involved in commercial real estate at all, uh, it's hard to find properties. Number two, it's hard to secure financing if we wanted to buy something because on paper, we're only about 11 months old and banks like to see multiple years worth of financial records. Uh, We might have some lenders that'll that'll work with us on that. And it's also a little bit difficult because as a new church, we don't have a ton of cash on hand to put in a down payment. Now, God has been incredibly gracious and I want to say a huge thank you to you, the people of Sound City Bible Church, every single month this year, we have beaten budgets. We have beaten budget. We have brought in more donations than we expected, and we have spent less than we said we were going to. So God has been gracious. Uh, you have been very, very generous. We've paid our bills. We actually uh, this summer we put in place our financial accountability team. Is Dale in the room, or is he still out greeting people? Where's Dale? There's Dale. Smile, wave. Dale leads our financial accountability team. It's a team made up of members of the church who come alongside the elders and and help us walk through issues of of financial financial expenditures, etc. And so we've been working with them a lot on. This this idea of finding a new building, and here's the the deal. You ready for this? Based on the market, based on what we think we would need, based on really rough estimates of construction, moving costs, things like that, we are going to need somewhere in the neighborhood of about a million dollars in the bank to really buy something and move in and make it our long-term home. Yeah. One million dollars. Sounds like a lot, uh, because it is, and here's the deal. Um, as of today, we have about a quarter of that that we can spend. So we have, uh, we're making progress in that, but here's, here's what we're hoping and praying. This is a God-sized goal. Uh, a God-sized goal would be, God, we would love to find a building that we could purchase, we could move into, we could get it fixed up, and we as Sound City Bible Church could move in longer term and really establish a home base because the church is a family and every family needs a home. Now, the, the building is not an end in itself. We believe that a building is a tool. A building is a tool that allows us as a church to gather together for worship, to train disciples, to equip people to go out on mission so that lives can be impacted by the gospel. A building is not the goal. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? We want to have a building so that we can use it for the glory of God, for the mission of Jesus Christ. But we would love to pray and see if God wouldn't want to do something radical through us. And so we have a uh, uh, four Four requests for you as a church, okay? And yes, it's November, and yes, we're going to talk about money, and yes, that's why you got up and came to church this morning, right? Here's the thing. Legitimately, number one, we would like to ask you to please pray. We need to pray for a new home. Whether that's more of a temporary thing for a while while we save up money, whether that's a long-term thing that we could jump on and purchase, we really would love to ask the people of Sound City Bible Church to be praying. On our list of values as a church, when when we launched out this summer, we said that prayer was on the top of our list. It's on the list, our top list of values. We actually took six weeks and went through the Lord's Prayer as a Sermon series to reinforce the idea that prayer is incredibly important to us as a church. So please don't talk about praying. please don't please don't think about praying. please pray. Gather with your community groups, gather with your friends and pray for this. Number two, we'd like to invite you to give above and beyond to the the church building fund. We set up a special fund uh, where it's designated money that will just be for the church building. If you uh, are feeling moved in your heart to give above and beyond, we'd love to encourage you to give that way. I was actually... um, reminded of a story in Exodus when they were taking contributions for the tabernacle. They wanted to build the tabernacle, a place where they could worship God together as a, a family, a, a people who had just come out of slavery in Egypt. And it says, that, it says in Exodus 35 that whoever, Moses says, whoever's of a generous heart, let them bring in contributions. Just whoever's of a generous heart. We believe that God loves a, what kind of giver? a cheerful giver, not one out of duty or obligation. So we wanna encourage you towards joyful giving if God would stir your heart. But I love that story because in the next chapter, Exodus 36, the, the men who were working and overseeing the construction project, they had to tell the people to stop bringing supplies because the people gave too much and they didn't know what to do with it. And so Moses cut them off, said, you have given too much. We have too much to build the tabernacle. And I thought, God, what if you would do that in Sound City Bible Church? Wouldn't that be cool to see the hearts of the people moved to give above and beyond, to be generous so that we could find a long-term home again for the, for the further of the gospel, not for us to just be uh, happy and comfortable with ourselves. Number three, we really do want to encourage you to search for possible solutions. When well, we met with our real estate broker who's been very helpful for us, uh, one of the things he says, is, you've got a few hundred people who'd love to, just as they're driving around, say, hey, I saw this building for lease. I saw this church building. It looked like this one maybe lit on fire. Maybe that's in our price range. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and actually, several of you have, have passed on uh, leads and tips to, uh, to us. And so uh, we'd love for you to email us. Again, uh, my email address is Shane at Just kidding. Pass it on to any one of us as the elder team or to Dale. Love to hear that. And then number four, pray some more. Because we probably didn't pray enough at number one. We really need this to be led by the Spirit. You guys? We don't have the financial resources. We don't have the, 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 the genius. We don't have the extra time just sitting around to really drive this. We need God to show up and help us as a church family, amen? And so we want this to be, to be driven by God. And I, the, the thought came to me as I was thinking about what to say with you, a, a song that I used to sing in church when I was a little kid, there was a song and it, it kind of comes from that, that um, Exodus idea. And there was a line in the song that said, God didn't bring us out this far just to take us back again. I've been so encouraged by the work that God has done in our church over this last year. I'm so encouraged about the future of this church. I am beyond excited to serve as one of the pastors and I'm really looking forward to this next season that God has for us. So uh, I'm gonna ask you, Sound Bible Church, will you? Pray, give, search, and pray. Will you, will you uh, seek the Lord in your families, in your community groups? Uh, maybe we need to get creative. Maybe it's some garage sales or some car washes or some different things like that. If you have creative fundraising solutions, this is kind of an all-hands-on-deck, and I would love to see uh, another year from now to look back on my Facebook memories and say, wow, remember a year ago when we started talking about needing a building? Look what God's done, and look at the disciples who have been made, and look at the, the babies that have been born and the marriages that have that have taken place. Look at what God has done in our church. You guys want to look back on that in a year and see what he's he's done. Give him the credit. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Again, if you're new, uh, what we love to do is we love to open up the Bible. We love to take books of the Bible and just kind of go verse by verse straight through to see what it is that God wants to teach us and what it is that we're going to learn. And so we're in a sermon series right now on the book of Hebrews called The Sermon God Wrote. This is an anonymous sermon that was passed around, and we don't Know exactly who the human author is, but we do know that it's inspired by God. It was given from the Holy Spirit, and so it's profitable for us. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter three. We're blazing through this book right now. The first six verses, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to read along, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray, church. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every time we want to hear you speak, we can open the scriptures and God, you you speak directly to us. And my prayer is is simply today, God, would you help us to see wonderful things in your word? Would you give us your Holy Spirit to bring these words that were written almost 2000 years ago to life in our hearts, in our lives? God, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Correct us where we need to be corrected. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. Would you guard my lips, help me to only speak that which is in line with your truth and give us all soft hearts to receive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a, a hero? Do you have a leader, a, a, a prominent figure, someone who you look to? Uh, maybe those, some of you are, are musicians and there's a, a particular record producer or a musician or an artist that you just think they can do no wrong. Maybe some of you are, are, are businessmen or businesswomen, and there's a, a particular business guru that you look to. You read all their books. You, you download all of their podcasts. Maybe some of you have other interests or hobbies like cooking or, or, or pottery, or I don't know what you're into. Is there a pottery guru? I don't even know. But you have someone that you, you look to, somebody that you look up to, maybe an athlete. Maybe there's a, an athlete or a coach. Some of you are into to fitness or into sports, and you think that this one coach or this one person can do no wrong. Who's your hero? Who do you look to? Who is someone that, if if I asked your friends or if I asked your spouse who you are really uh, into, who you really like to follow, who would they say? Last weekend, I I was not here. I was traveling out of town uh, for a friend's wedding. I was in his wedding, uh, and the wedding was in Dallas, Texas, of all places. As if working with two pastors from Texas wasn't enough, I figured I needed to go travel to the motherland and see why, I really enjoyed my time in Dallas. I got to go visit uh, two churches uh, and and just worship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Got to catch up with some other friends who live in Texas. And then I visited a third house of worship in the afternoon. I swung by AT&T Stadium where the Dallas Cowboys play. It's only pagan worship happens there, right? And I was thinking, I know the Seahawks are there today playing, so I actually marched around it seven times. And uh, (laughs) just kidding. But it was interesting because I wanted to see this this gargantuan stadium for myself. It's like 3 million square feet. It's 110,000 seats. I think it's twice the size of of CenturyLink, the stadium we have here. It's massive. And in Dallas, it's called the house that Jerry built, referring to the the not-so-lovable owner, Jerry Jones, and when you talk to people in Dallas, he came up a couple times because I was talking about the stadium and talking about football and this or that. People, people don't really like Jerry Jones that much in Dallas. They, they have kind of a, a love-hate relationship with him. He, but he's the one who built this gargantuan house. He's the one that built this, this stadium. This is, he's the leader. He's the figure. He's the one that everyone looks to. If you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, like it or not, you're part of this house that Jerry built. Here's here's the idea for today. As we look at this passage in Hebrews chapter three, the house that Moses built, the house that Jesus built, the house that, that God built, my main proposition is this. As human beings, we are built, we are made to follow a leader. We were created by God to look to a leader and to follow that leader. And what's more, not just to follow a leader, but to belong to a people that follows that leader. And I believe that's because we were created in the image and the likeness of God. The Bible teaches that man and woman, male and female, humankind was created in the image and likeness of God. We are different than any other creature, any other animal, anything else in God's created order. Humankind is specifically called uh, made in the image and likeness of God. And in the image and likeness of God, there's community in who God is. The Bible teaches that God is Trinitarian in nature. There is only one God, and that one God exists in three co equal, co eternal persons of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when God created everything, He's he's looking through creation, and every day He looks at His creation, He says, This is good, this is good, this is good. When He created the man first, He looked at the man, what did He say? It's not good for the man to be alone. And every wife who's gone away for a weekend and left her husband alone knows that that is true. But God looked and he said, there's a, there's a missing aspect here. There's a, there's a relational community aspect that's missing. And so he created the woman. And the man and the woman were joined together. God, God is himself relational. God is himself communal. And you know what's interesting is within the persons of the Trinity, all three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're equal There is no senior and junior members of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity are fully God, fully eternal, have always existed, have always been. And yet within the Trinity, we see submission and deference and respect. When Jesus was physically here on the earth doing his his ministry 2,000 years ago, what did he say? He said things like, I don't do these things on my own. I only do that which I see the Father doing. Or time and time again, Jesus said, my Father who has sent me. Is Jesus equal to the Father? The answer is yes. But did Jesus submit to the leadership of the Father? The answer is yes. And because we're created in the image and likeness of God, There is an aspect of our humanity that wants to be led. People want to be led. People want to have someone to look to. Ultimately, in our hearts and in our lives, that is meant to be found in God and him alone. God is meant to occupy the primary place of leadership in our hearts and our lives. It is not a sin. It is not wrong to follow other people. But like the apostle Paul says, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not wrong to have other people that we look to. But if God doesn't occupy the highest level of leadership or authority in our lives, the Bible would call that idolatry. We are meant to follow. We are meant to be led. We are meant to serve. It's like the, the, the absolutely phenomenal Bob Dylan song. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you are gonna have to serve somebody. You guys like that song? That's a good song. I, I should have asked Pastor Joe to put that in the worship set. Can you guys work on that before we? Thank you. You have to serve somebody. So, Let's turn our attention to this passage today and see what the author of Hebrews wants to say about us following and and what leader we're gonna follow. Going back to to verse one, chapter three. We're gonna see three primary players today. We're gonna see the servant, we're gonna see the son, and we're gonna see the saved. There are these three major characters involved in this passage. So let's start with the servant. Hebrews chapter three, verses one and two. Therefore, holy brothers, that's us, if you are a Christian, you are a holy brother or sister. In the Greek, that's, a, that's a, a unisex word. It means brothers and sisters. So you are holy, not by virtue of you being so good, but by virtue of receiving God's grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. I love that. Consider Jesus. I want you to think about Jesus... So we know what the point of this passage is already. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The word apostle means a messenger or one who is sent. So when the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus an apostle, it's because he was sent from heaven to earth, sent by God to represent God to us. And a high priest, what does a high priest do? A high priest goes from mankind before God to represent the people. Jesus is the perfect representative of God to mankind. Jesus is the perfect representative of mankind before God. He's the only one we would want in that position, amen? He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. I want you to consider him, why? Because he was faithful to him who appointed him, meaning he was faithful to God. God sent Jesus to be this apostle and to be this high priest. Just as, okay, now we're going to get an analogy here. Just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. All right, we're going to talk about Jesus because he just says here, the point is Jesus. I want you to consider Jesus. But first, the author of Hebrews is going to bring up arguably the most important figure in the Bible other than Jesus, Moses. He's going to bring up Moses. We need to understand Moses. It, it would be hard for me to over-exaggerate just how important Moses was to the people of God in the Old Testament. I mean, he he was the leader of the nation. He he has this very impressive resume, and so I want to make sure that we all understand the gravity of what's being said here. We're, we're, really, we're really kind of turning the corner now, getting into the meat of the book. He's gonna, the, the author of Hebrews is gonna spend a lot of time talking about how Jesus is better than almost everything in the Old Testament. And literally everything in the Old Testament is somehow connected to Moses. So let's, let's just remember Moses' story briefly. For some of you, this will be review and refresher. Maybe for some of you, you need to actually be more familiar with the Old Testament story. So let me, let me share this with you. The, the, the story starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. When God calls a Moses name, calls a man named Abraham and says, "Abraham, I am going to bless you, and I'm going to turn your descendants into a great nation. I'm, the, the world has, has gone off the rails. Sin has marred and destroyed my good creation. I'm going to use you to be a part of the solution. So that happens in Genesis chapter 12. If you look in the the rest of Genesis, the whole rest of the story is his family, his descendants, Isaac, and then Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and then Joseph. You guys remember Joseph with his coat of many colors? He was kind of an arrogant young hothead and his brothers beat him up. They were going to kill him, but then they decided mercifully to sell him into slavery. And so he went down to Egypt. Sound like any of your big brothers? He ends up in Egypt. He has the pride ground out of him. But eventually he ends up in a position of prominence, leading and in charge of basically second in command over the whole nation of Israel. A famine breaks out. His family, his own brothers who sold him into slavery end up going to Egypt because that's the only place in the whole known world that had food stored up. So his family ends in Egypt. It's an amazing story. There's reconciliation, there's redemption. God has done a work in Joseph. God has done a work in the brothers and there, there, there's, there's reconciliation and the family decides to stay in Egypt. You turn the page, you go into the book of Exodus, chapter one, something has happened. There's a new Pharaoh, there's a new king in charge who, who doesn't love and doesn't care for and doesn't even know Joseph doesn't know the people of his family, this nation, this new family of Israel that's turning into a nation. And 400 years has gone by and this new Pharaoh has actually become fearful of the people and has put them into slavery. It says in the Bible that he he made them work hard and they were groaning and they were miserable because this Pharaoh was petty and was insecure and wanted to rule with an iron fist. So this nation, this now huge group of people that descended from Abraham, Abraham, They're enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. Then you get to Exodus chapter two and Moses is born. Moses is born. If you consider the the Bible as one big book, the the Bible is actually a collection of a lot of books, but you could almost consider Genesis as the prologue. And then Exodus is where the story really kicks into high gear. Moses is born. Look Look at his resume. Starts out, he has divine protection and a calling as a child. It says that uh, the Pharaoh was so afraid of the Israelite people that he was ordering all of the male baby boys to be killed. Anyone who was under the age of two was put to death. And Moses' mother was brave and courageous enough to hide him. It says for three months. You guys know how noisy babies are? She hid him for three months. That's remarkable. When he was too big and too noisy to no longer be, to be hidden, she put him in a basket and floated him down the river and entrusted him to God. The Pharaoh's daughter found him and he ended up being raised in the Pharaoh's home. Educated. He was wealthy, well-acquainted with Egyptian culture, well-acquainted with finances, well-acquainted with military strategy, anything and everything that he would have learned as a prince, as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, as the the grandson of the Pharaoh, Moses had that. He ends up in a confrontation and he has to flee for his life. About 40 years old, he runs away fleeing for his life. He goes into the desert and he meets a woman and her, her dad's a shepherd. And so he just spends the next 40 years basically chilling as a shepherd in the desert, in the wilderness, until one day God shows up in a very dramatic fashion in the burning bush and says, I am calling you to go set my people free. You are going to be my chosen instrument. You are going to take this this large group of people now that has only known slavery, has only known hardship, has only known oppression, and you are gonna be the one that leads them into freedom. So Moses is a, a liberator, uh, it's not unfair to refer to him maybe as a like a political revolutionary. He's a liberator. He's someone who helped set the people free. Uh, on one of my flights uh, this weekend, I watched the, the movie Selma, which was uh, telling of the, the life or portion of the life of, of Martin Luther King Jr. and just the influence and impact that he had on the nation of the United States uh, helping to, to liberate a group of people that were uh, not technically by the letter of the law enslaved, but still experienced tremendous hardship and oppression. You can kind of put Moses in that category. He's a liberator. He's a, a revolutionary. He is someone who really shook up the status quo. Pharaoh didn't like him. The people who were in power didn't like him. Not only was he a liberator, he was a leader think about this. Scholars are a little bit uncertain as to exactly how many people, but low estimates are somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 500,000 people, and high estimates may be as many as two million people. I have four daughters. We have a couple extras living with us right now. I try to go to the grocery store with seven people. I think I'm going to lose my mind. Moses led hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people out of the only life that they've ever known into the wilderness of all places. And then they went on a 40-year camping trip. When you go camping, how many relatives do you like to go with? Not a lot, because it's complicated. Nomadic tribes are usually, even to this day, relatively speaking, small. Moses led a massive group of people. He's quite the leader. Not only is he a liberator, not only is he a leader, he's the law giver. He's, he's, you know, for us, our founding fathers, you know, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, you know, Monroe, Adams, all these guys, they wrote our constitution. They wrote our Declaration of Independence. That's Moses by himself. Well, God, but he's the one, he's the figure. He's the man, the human agent that God gave the law to. So not only did he go stand up to the most powerful leader in the known world. Not only did he lead you know, possibly a million people through the desert, not only did he do all that, but then he wrote the constitution as well and said, here's how we're gonna be governed. I literally cannot exaggerate the importance of Moses. The, for at this point, when the book of Hebrews was written, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham's family have now maybe a couple thousand years of history and tradition. We as the United States of America, we're not even 300 years old yet. We look to George Washington or, or various political leaders in the past, nothing on Moses. He's like, he's like George Washington and, and Batman and Chuck Norris all rolled into one. I mean, he is the man. How hard do you think this would have been for the people to hear? Do you think this would have been challenging for the hearers of, of this letter, the Hebrews? Moses is so incredibly important. Listen to this. There's a verse in Numbers 12 that just blows my mind. This is, this is what kind of relationship that Moses had with God. This is God saying, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but it's not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. By the way, hold on to that. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. It's a Hebrew idiom. It's a Hebrew saying, meaning when Moses speaks, it's my words that come out. I speak with him mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Or in Exodus 33, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You feel the weight of those passages? The Bible is very clearly telling us that Moses and God have a relationship that operates in a way that is just beyond anything that anybody knows. You have all these people, God would raise up prophets and they would speak, they would hear from the Lord, but Moses is is just on a different level. This would have been really hard for the people to whom this letter was written to hear. We love Moses Moses is the man. Moses is the number one leader. Why are you trying to come in and tell me that Jesus is better than Moses? You can't challenge, Mo- Moses is Moses. Sure, Jesus is great. Maybe, maybe there would have been kind of two reactions among the people. I think one reaction would have been, oh yes, Jesus is great. We love Jesus. He taught the law of Moses. Jesus supports Moses. Moses is still in charge. Jesus is a, a supporting cast member. I'd be willing to bet because knowing what I know about human nature, there'd be others who'd say, Jesus is amazing. Moses, who? Throw him in the trash pile. Forget all the, everything we'd learned from Moses. The writer of Hebrews wants us to see Moses is incredibly important. This is not a a good versus bad. This is a good versus better. This is a foundation of the house, finished product. He's going to very carefully show us that as good as Moses was, Jesus is better. So let's keep reading. Let's look at this, this son, verse three. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Uh, We're going to come back to this idea of God's house. In a little bit, but I just want you to understand that that this is kind of the context. God's building a house, God's building a family, God's building a people. We'll explain that more in a little bit, but I want you to focus on the comparisons now between Moses and Jesus. Now, Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify uh, to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And so I want you to see there's there's some comparisons drawn here between Jesus and Moses. Remember, this would have been really hard for them to hear, so he's going to walk them through. Some of them are explicit in the text. Some of them, uh, we have to kind of go back and look at what he's already said in, in chapters one and two. But I want you to see five points of comparison between Moses and between Jesus. And the first one is this, possession. There's a difference in possession. In verse five, what we just read, it says that Moses was faithful in all of whose house? God's house, God's house as a servant. So this house that Moses is working in, he doesn't own it. It doesn't belong to him. But as you guys heard last week when Pastor Travis was teaching, this is the word of Jesus. Behold, I and the children God has given me. So Moses was was great as a servant, but he didn't own the house. Jesus, the son, comes along and he owns it. It's his We belong to Jesus, not Moses. And notice how the writer of Hebrews goes back into the Old Testament to prove these things. Verse five, chapter three, verse five is from Numbers. It's from that passage we just read a minute ago. And Hebrews 2.13 is from the Psalms. He's using the Old Testament to show Old Testament minded people how as amazing as Moses was, Jesus is better. So there's a difference first of possession, Moses didn't own the house. He worked in it like the difference between a servant or an employee versus the son of the owner of a company. There's a difference of position. Look at this. Moses was faithful in all of God's house. He was faithful in all of God's house. But if you look in chapter three, verse six, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses was faithful in the house. He, he lived in the house. What does, that, what does that mean? What does that tell us? He was a member of the house himself. He's just another man. As great of a leader as he is, as important of a figure as he is, as much impact on human history as Moses has had, he's simply another human being, a great human being, someone who's worthy of, of honor, someone who's worthy of our, of our respect. But Jesus, the son shows up and he is faithful over. He's on top of it. He's in charge of it. He, there's something different about Jesus. Jesus is not just another Moses. He's not just merely another man who shows up to take that position of leadership. Jesus is, is over it. Jesus is divine. The writer of Hebrews has spent two chapters trying to show us that Jesus is high and exalted and above the angels. And now as he starts to talk about the lowliness of Jesus, he still wants us to remember that Christ is over God's house. He's high and exalted. You know why? Because Jesus is God. Moses is a mere man. Jesus is God and man come together. The divine mystery of how God could become a man, but Jesus is ruling over. So there's a difference of possession. There's a difference of position. There's a difference of anticipation. Look at what it says about Moses. Moses testified to things that were to be spoken later. But going back to chapter one, we saw a few weeks ago about Jesus. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you're building a house, Moses got to see the land get purchased and the first shovel full of dirt scooped up. Jesus got to cut the ribbon and say, this house is open for business. Moses was faithful, but Moses did not get to see The completed project. God's building a house. God's building a people. God's in the business of redeeming lost and sinful people to himself. And Moses was faithful in the part that God gave to him. But Jesus shows up and he finishes the project. There's no more work to be done. Jesus has done it all. We can now be saved. We can now be brought into the household of God. We can now be part of this house that he's building because of the work that Jesus did. Number four, there's a difference between Moses and Jesus in opposition. This is not explicit in this passage, but if you go back to that verse from Numbers that I read, the context that is happening is the people were opposing Moses. In fact, Moses' own sister and brother were opposing him. You guys have read the story of of Moses trying to lead the Israelite people. I I made it sound like he was such a good leader. Part of the reason why he was such a good leader is he had to put up with constant whining and griping and second guessing from the people nonstop. Like it was so bad that at one point they said, Moses, could we please go back to Egypt and be slaves again? Because at least they had meat there. Just the, think about that mindset. Think about how much they love their, their comfort and their convenience. They were willing at one point to put up with slavery just because they were, they were hungry. Well, yeah, God's raining bread down from the sky every morning. And yeah, a bunch of birds land and we can kill and eat them. But it's just not the same, man. Those Egyptian spices. Let's go back into slavery. Could you imagine being Moses in that situation? Moses was faithful Over and over and over again, he loved the people. Actually, it's funny. There's one point in the story where God is so frustrated with the Israelite people that God says, hey, Moses, I got an idea. How about I kill them all and we start over with just you? And Moses intercedes. He goes before God. He says, you know what, God? I hear your point, but... And this is what Moses says. The other nations will hear about it and and, and they'll hear your reputation. your, your, your glory is even better than that. Your reputation is more worthwhile. Moses talked God off the ledge. I mean, God's sovereign, but. Here's what Jesus does though. Jesus intercedes for the people. But instead of God offering to kill all the people and save Moses, Jesus shows up and God offers to kill his own son so that the people could be saved. And Jesus was faithful the apostle Paul tells us in Philippians that he was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Moses was faithful, but do you know that there's one point when Moses lost it? Towards the end of his story, Moses is so frustrated, he's so fed up with the Israelite people, he loses his temper. temper. It, uh, it says he smashes a rock with his stick and you wouldn't think maybe that in and of itself would be such a bad thing, but God had commanded him not to and he'd done it once before. And because of that, Moses was not allowed to actually enter into the promised land. He died before the people went into the promised land. Joshua led them over. So Moses was pretty good. Moses was better than you and I would have done. Can we say that? Moses was faithful as a leader through a ton of opposition. But we're going to read this in a few weeks. It says, For who were those that heard and rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? Moses led this rebellious people. And at the end of the day, he was not 100% faithful. He was close, but he wasn't 100% faithful. But we looked at a few weeks ago in chapter two, verse nine, Jesus tasted death for everyone. How much opposition did Jesus receive? All of it. Jesus received opposition from every sinful human being. It says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. It says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, familiar with, with grief. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest companions. Jesus' friend, Peter, whom he loved dearly on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter denied even knowing him. I'm not with him. He's not my friend. He's not my leader. I haven't just spent the last three years following him around. On the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus experienced a moment of being forsaken by God, He went through the worst pain imaginable. He went through the worst heartbreak imaginable. Why? So that you and I could be bought with his precious blood and be brought back into right relationship with God. There's no other leader who has been that faithful. There's lots of good leaders, lots of people you can look to. Jesus is the only one who has given his very life for your redemption, Moses was was pretty faithful through opposition. Jesus was 100% faithful through opposition, amen? Jesus succeeded. Number five, the last difference, the last contrast is duration. In verse five, it says that Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. And in verse six, it says Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You know why that is, church? I'm really excited to tell you, it's my favorite part of the sermon. You knew it was coming. Moses is dead, but Jesus is alive. Jesus is not dead anymore because on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus Christ stands perpetually as the one and only leader that we ever need to look to for anything and everything in life. Amen? Church, Jesus is alive. The Christian faith is not just that we we learn some good principles about Jesus and we learn some things to do with our lives and how to make good decisions and not make bad decisions. No, the Christian faith is that they killed him and he came back to life. So we really need to pay attention to what he said, that he can forgive sin, that all who trust in him, that all who repent of their sins and, and place their faith in him can be forgiven. Jesus says, hey, I got up from the tomb. How about this? Eternal life. Even if you die, you won't really die. I'll raise you up on the last day and you'll get to be with me forever. Moses was faithful. Uh, he lived to be about 120 years old. 40 years—it's—it's it's pretty uh, even 40-year blocks. 40 years in the Pharaoh's house, 40 years in the wilderness in the in the desert as a shepherd, 40 years in the wilderness leading the people of Israel. 120 years—that's a good long life. Christ is eternal. He will never, his, his days of ruling and reigning will never cease. He's the leader that we need. He's the one that should rise to the surface and be primary in our intention. So all of these differences, listen, like the author of Hebrews, we should not denigrate or dismiss or put down the Old Testament. We should not denigrate or dismiss or put down Moses. We should not denigrate or look down upon the Old Testament. It's not bad and good. It's good, but Jesus is Better, Jesus is absolutely better. I actually, I actually know um, some Christians who uh, would say things like, "Well, I don't ever really read the Old Testament because now we've got the New Testament; it's good." Okay, listen, the Old Testament is good. We learn a lot about the character of God. We learn a lot about the plan of redemption. We need, we need the Old Testament. If we are, we are not merely New Testament Christians. We are living in light of what God has done in the New Testament, but we need the Old Testament. Amen. Keep going. Now we're gonna see the third character. We've seen the servant, we've seen the son. Now let's let's look at us now. The saved. Picking back up kind of in the middle of, of verse three. Uh, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Okay, here's the idea. God is building a house. God is building a house and it's made up not of stones, not of wood. It's made up of people. Here, the writer of Hebrews is very much in line with other places in the Bible, like Peter, the apostle Peter, and 1 Peter says this, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's why we don't consider this church building holy and sacred. This is just a building. You know who the temple of God is? It's us. It's the we when we come together. God is shaping us together. And I like that idea of living stones. I've never uh, never worked with stone. I have done some some masonry, some brick building, and trying to get stones to fit together. I've found the more mortar you use, the easier it is. Just just a ton of just jelly. And then you can, then you can get them to fit together. But think about this living stones. I don't know why this is just my imagination. I just imagine God's trying to build with stones and they're like talking back to him and they're like squirming and wiggling, right? Like living stones that God's trying to shape together. And some of these stones have some pretty rough edges. Amen. Living stones come together. God's building a house out of these, these living stones. Or look what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. He says, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. That's the starting point, the foundation in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are God's house. The church building is not God's house. And the Psalms even say that, God, like you could even dwell in a house made by hands. We are the house that God wants to inhabit. We are his dwelling place. We are his temple. Going back into this, this passage in Ephesians, it talks about uh, Moses gets, gets honor, but Jesus gets more honor, more glory. We, we, we don't want to just uh, pause and, and look at, you know, the person who kind of helped get it started. We don't want to pause and look at the house itself either. We want to look at the one who built it. We want to give the most glory to the one who built it. I have a friend who builds amazing houses. He lives uh, in Alaska and he builds uh, some pretty amazing custom homes, And he sent me some pictures. I've seen them before and I share them with friends. I like to show some of my friends these pictures. Look at this this house that my friend made. And what I realized even as I was preparing the sermon this week, the houses are cool but I like to brag on my friend. The house is great but it's not just look at this house. It built itself. No, look at this house. My friend built it. Isn't he amazing? That's the analogy that, that the writer of Hebrews is using here. Look at this house that God's building. Well, Sometimes you might look at this house that God's building and think, God, do you really know what you're doing? Is that a fair point? You ever look at the people of God? You ever look at the church and think, wow, this this is a remodel project, isn't it? But when God is done, the book of Revelation tells us that the dwelling place of God will be with man and it will the city of God will be bright and shining. It uses language of like every jewel and gem that you can think of. It talks about the streets being paved with gold. The house that God is building will be spectacular. And it won't be because the house cleaned itself up. No, it will be because God was faithful. And Jesus is the faithful one who is building this house and leading this house to its conclusion. There's this one verse here at the very end, the very end of of, uh, verse six. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We're gonna come back to that next week. We're gonna spend some time looking at this verse as well as the following verses. What does it mean that we are his house if we hold on to the end? So put a pin in that. We're gonna come back to that. We've got some important things to discuss next week. I want to conclude with this. I want to go back to verse one. Look at at verse one again with me if you would. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our, what's the word, San Our confession. Our confession, uh, it's not like a confession, like somebody dragged it out of you, like you're being interrogated by a detective. It's a confession in the sense of, what's the message that your life preaches? What are the words that come out of your mouth? What's your life speaking of? The author of Hebrews wants us to really think hard about Jesus and that Jesus himself would be our confession. So let me ask you, if people were to dig through your life, if people were to analyze your checking account, if people were to look through all of your social media posts, Who would they say is the most important and influential figure in your life? Who do you love? Who do you follow? Who do you emulate? Who do you look to for advice? It is not a sin to be a fan of a business guru. It is not a sin to be a fan of an athlete. It is not a sin to uh, love your, your children a lot. But the moment that any one of those people takes priority in your heart over Jesus Christ, the Bible would call that idolatry and it's a sin that needs to be repented of. It's a sin that needs to be repented of. I would say, in my experience, there's basically two types of Christians. I'm gonna put Christians in quotes. There are one type of Christians who would say that they are Christians because when the form from the U.S. census comes out, they wouldn't check atheist or Muslim or Buddhist. I guess I'm a Christian. That Jesus seemed like a good guy. He's probably one of those people who I should listen to and let influence my life. And then there are Christians who have said, I've made a horrific mess out of my life. I've sinned against God. I've sinned in more ways than I even want to admit even to myself. I really need a rescuer. I really need a redeemer. I'm lost. I'm alienated. I'm isolated. And I need someone to bring me back in to right relationship with God. And my only hope is Jesus Christ. In the U.S., we have a lot of people who are Christian in name only because we have more or less Christian roots And I I know that at least somebody here today needs to hear this, that being a Christian doesn't mean that you don't just not check the box atheist or not check the Hindu or Muslim box. Being a Christian means that you have surrendered your entire life, mind, heart, body, finances, sexuality, time, affections. You've surrendered everything to Jesus. Jesus isn't a leader to be followed. He's the leader. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And make no mistake, Jesus said, count the cost before you follow me. I want your whole life. So some of you here today, you are Christians. You genuinely love Jesus. You've been saved and you need a reality check. Maybe there are places in your heart where you're finding idolatry creeping in. You're following somebody else. You you lean more heavily on somebody's opinion or perspective than you do on Jesus. Some of you here today are not Christians and there's an invitation. Whoever you're following, whatever leader you're, you're looking to, as good as they may be, they're not Jesus. Jesus is our only hope, amen? How do we need to respond today? How do we need to respond? We're going to respond now in a few, a few ways. I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of things to respond with. The first we're going to respond is with uh, the giving of our tithes and offerings. And so I'd like to invite the financial stewards to come forward if they would, please. We're going to give our tithes and offerings as an act of worship to God. You know that Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And there's a reason why a minute ago I said, how would we, how would we know what's most important in your life? Checkbook would be one of those indicators. And so No guilt, no compulsion, no arm twisting. But I want to invite you to worship Jesus today with your money. I want to invite you to worship Jesus today with your finances. And while they're collecting the offering, let me go over a few discussion questions today. While um, while they're collecting that, we'll look over these questions for you to talk about in your homes and in your community groups this week. First one is this: What does it mean that we're called holy, brothers and sisters, and that we we share in a heavenly calling? These are some really encouraging truths. We touched on them briefly, but man, those are encouraging words. Spend some time thinking about that, that this is what you are called if you are a Christian. Number two, when it comes to your loyalties, when it comes to who you follow, the leader you look to, where might you be in danger of having allegiances greater than Jesus? Number three, do a little uh, Bible homework. Go back to 1 Peter 2.5, Ephesians 2.19. Also look up 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17. What does it mean that we are God's house or we're his temple? And what are the implications of that? Especially for you in community groups, it's a great opportunity to talk about relationship with one another and being built together. And then number four, of all the ways that Jesus' sonship is better than Moses' servanthood, his better possession, position, anticipation, opposition, and duration, which one affects you the most and why? And even what is Jesus asking you to do about it? Couple things to pray about as well. Pray that Jesus would occupy the primary place of loyalty in our hearts and our lives. Number two, pray that we would hold fast to Jesus until the very last day. We would not uh, trade him for, for someone better or something better in our minds. And number three, pray that non Christians would see the confession of our lives and be drawn to Jesus. Those are important things to pray. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table, we're going to celebrate communion. This is where we, we gather at the table. We who are, are God's people, we, we come. If you're, if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you one of two things. Number one, you can watch and observe what this means for us as Christians. Number two, you can give your life to Jesus and join us at the table to be a part of this house that Jesus is building together. And we're gonna remember Jesus' broken body. We're gonna remember his shed blood. We're gonna remember his faithfulness. And when we take this bread and we, we take this wine or this juice, Let's remember today that Jesus is the leader. He's the King of Kings. He's the one on which we should place all of our hope and all of our trust more than any other leader we look to. And so I'd like to invite you to stand if you would. Pastor Joe and the band will lead us in a time of singing and we'll remember Jesus' grace to us and we'll come forward for communion when you're ready. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you for your love that looked upon us even when we were hopeless and lost. And that God, you're such a good and redemptive and gracious God. You said, I can even use these, these, these messed up stones, these living stones, and I'm going to build them into a house. I'm going to build them into my people. God, I pray that you would help each of us to put to death in our hearts, any person or, or thing or idea that raises itself up above Jesus. God, help us to see our own hearts accurately. God, help us in love one another to speak these these truths to each other. And God, I pray now as we sing and as we celebrate the Lord's table, you'd fill our hearts with worship, that we would celebrate our savior, Jesus. We'd celebrate uh, the one who is faithful even to the point of death on the cross and the one who is risen and lives forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.